Many of us enroll our children in music programs because we want them to have a foundation in music theory, perhaps learn to play an instrument, and ultimately to be able to appreciate the beauty of musical expression. Today's extraordinary guest, award-winning composer and author Michael Curick, is here to tell us why good music really matters. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host. Today, it's my privilege and a great joy to welcome Michael Curick to the podcast to step us into why, especially when it comes to raising our children, good music really matters. American composer and author Michael Curick's classical orchestral and chamber music has been performed live in 15 countries on five continents. It's amazing. And broadcast or streamed in 81 countries on six continents. He has received the prestigious Academy Award in Music from the American Academy of Arts and Letters for Lifetime Achievement in Composition and has served on the Classical Nominations Committee for the Grammy Awards. His 2017 album, The Sea Knows, debuted at number one on Billboard's traditional classical chart and has enjoyed an exceptional number of downloads for classical music, a third of a million worldwide. Michael Curick's next album, Symphony No. 2, Tales from the Realm of Fairy, is due from Parma Recordings in 2022. He's the author of the popular book, The Sound of Beauty, a classical composer on music in the spiritual life, published in 2019 by Ignatius Press. I love the way Ignatius is getting so creative, Michael. Michael Curick writes a regular column on music for the New York edition of the Epic Times and hosts a weekly classical music show. I want to hear more about this one on crusadechannel.com and its Catholic radio affiliates. He holds a doctorate in composition from the University of Michigan and in 2020 became Professor Emeritus of Composition at Vanderbilt University. For more information, go to www.michaelcurick.com and that's in the show notes, but I'll spell it for you. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-K-U-R-E-K.com. Welcome to the program, Michael. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Oh, gosh, it's so good to have you here. This is a really fun topic. Um, we were talking a little before we started recording, and we talk so much about the good, the beautiful, and the true as Catholics, as you were saying. And so, really nice to be able to delve into the beautiful with you today. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, if you wouldn't mind, you're, you have taught some courses at Homeschool Connections that, and we'll, we can say more about them as we go if you like, but, um, just love for everyone to know that there are archived a couple of really fantastic courses by Michael in the, uh, unlimited access program, which you and your whole family can enjoy. And, um, and would you tell us just a little about that and also about your new series too? Great, great. My first course that I developed was using this textbook, I mean, the book that you mentioned, The Sound of Beauty, uh, as a textbook for, for the course. And we just kind of do one chapter a week and some listening to go with it. And so each lesson talks about uh, a, a certain composer and we listen to representative compositions of that composer. But we also talk about what is music, things that are in the book. Why do we perceive music the way we do? 
it's just sounds in the air. It's invisible. But why do we think it has emotion? It's just sounds. What does it trigger in us and how in terms of the psychology of perception? What is it in terms of sound waves? And then I talk in the book about the whole spiritual nature of music, just generally, but also in liturgy and in the church. And so it's a, it's a kind of a handbook of all things music for people who don't read music and who don't play an instrument in language that everybody can understand. And it's proved to be um, popular among people who said, now I understand more about music, things I always wondered about, but I didn't have the vocabulary. Uh, so the, the, the courses, first course is based on that. And then as a spinoff, I kind of developed the second course, which is uh, Meet the Maestro's Music of the Great Classical Composers. Mm. That course is one composer most weeks uh, during the lesson, like a whole lesson on Johannes Brahms, um, a whole lesson on Antonin Dvorak. We find out that Dvorak was a faithful Catholic family man. We tend to think of composers as being these kind of rogues, you know, <laughs> got in a lot of trouble. And some of them were indeed. Yeah. But uh, Dvorak was a good exception and wrote beautiful music. Uh, mm. And it was a very devout Catholic. Mm. Uh, and then we have other composers who had conversions and, and even some who became priests. And so we talk about their spiritual life and listen to their music and just have a music appreciation course really for Catholics. And I found that the parents are as in, into it as the high school students that it's designed for. So I had fun taping those courses. It's just because I'm busy working also in my main day job as a composer <laughs> that I don't have time to teach many more that I'd like to teach. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm so glad you've done what you have. Tell us a little bit, too, about your um, your 21-hour series on crusadechannel.com. It's also, I know, at your website, michaelcurick.com. Yeah, it's called Catholic Adventures in Great Music, and it's a lot of fun, actually. I pick only the, the juiciest ones, <laughs> the ones <laughs> with great melodies that you cannot dislike. You know, there's some classical music that's a little more thorny or uh, complicated or harder to start with. You can work into those, but I start with the ones that have the great melodies, like Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker, you know, things like that. Yeah. And um, and it's a it's an entree into classical music. One composer a week, most weeks, some some weeks, two composers. And we listen, most of the show is me introducing a composition and, and thus listening to it. Um, and you can go, but, but some of them, you know, you do get some bi biography and some spiritual biography. Uh, some of the, um, well, what I was going to say is that where you can reach them, actually, you don't have, I want to plug the catholicchannel.com. They, they air it on that and their affiliate radio stations, which are, in the southern part of the United States, mostly, uh, on Monday nights and Saturday mornings. and But, but uh, I've got them all on my website, with their permission, archived as free streaming radio programs, like podcasts. But um, if you want to just listen to some music with a little chit-chat between a couple of corny jokes, uh, and <laughs> yeah, it's, I make it 
I make it fun. Um, but but um, you, you can just go to that web, my website, michaelcurek.com, K-U-R-E-K, um, and click on the Adventures page because it's Catholic Adventures in Great Music. And there you'll be able to click just the play button. You don't have to put in a, you don't have to register. You don't have to put in a password or subscribe or pay any money. It's just there as my gift to the church and mm. hopes Catholics will be edified and, and enjoy uh, beauty, which mm. God gave us. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much, Michael. Just so beautiful. I was listening to um, the, the C knows but not long before we started chatting today and was so touched by the fullness of it. You know, there's so much happens to us imaginatively in silence, but also so much can stimulate imagination like the beauty of nature. And it just fascinated me that the spiritual life, the creative life, all the stuff that's alive in us, we kind of, we almost have to rediscover it in our noisy, fast-paced world. Mm -hmm. I feel like by taking a course like this, we can reclaim something of our dignity yeah. in, as being made in the image and likeness of God. Could you say a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I'll get there roundaboutly, maybe, because um, there's a quote I love from the fairy tale author, George MacDonald, who said, a fairy tale is not... Uh, the purpose of a fairy tale is not to give people things to think about, but to awaken things that are in them. Mm. And, you know, so much, so much of our culture is trying to shove ideas at us and teach us. And, and it's very um, didactic sometimes and condescending, but, and even songs, our diet of listening is mostly songs with people singing and there's nothing wrong with the genre of vocal music per se but instrumental music has this power to tap into something a different side of the brain maybe because there are no words and there is something spiritual that is in my opinion activated that causes you to reflect deeply and sometimes the those pieces take you on a journey in sound, like a boat ride through time, you know, in sound. And they take, they capture you in a narrative and take you somewhere to another place, a transcendent place. And to me, this is very analogous to prayer and to deep contemplation. And, you know, to me, uh, Vocal music is like maybe um, saying a prayer, but instrumental music, for me personally, is like going to adoration <laughs> because there's just something, you know, that's deeper that you get to. Or it's like Lexio Divina, you know, you, you, you really have to listen and not have it be now, we can have music in the background. I'm not against that. But sometimes it's best to give music our full attention and really get this spiritual transcendent feeling from it. And I do believe that it's beautiful and, it, and it's a gift from God using the vehicle of, of sub-creators, composers, and musicians. But, it, I mean, God could have made us with no ears and the world with no sound. 
but he chose to give us sound and ears. And this beauty is just glorious. Um, I'll say one more thing, and then so I don't talk too long. And oh, no, it's, go ahead, Michael. But, it's great. But, but there's a fundamental thing of creation. You know, in music, if you play a tone, it has overtones, which are silently sound, like a string vibrates along its entire length at the main pitch, but it also vibrates simultaneously in halves. So it wiggles like it wiggles like this, uh, uh, the whole thing, but it also wiggles like this <laughs> in uh -huh. half and in thirds and in fourths and fifths. And those those notes uh, in halves gives you the octave. Well, those and and so on. And those notes in the overtone series make our major scale. They make our chords. And the so you know, to me, hearing just a beautiful chord sung or played by, say, a brass choir, is like a rainbow or something like you know the heavens are telling the glory of god oh it's like the <laughs> angels you know singing something glorious if yeah. you really listen but you but people don't know how to listen anymore we're bombarded with music in the grocery store when you go on hold there's this garbled music on the phone and we need to just try to shut off a lot of it and turn and then consciously listen to something edifying. Mm, yeah, so let's, that's a perfect place for us to jump off into. Um, love to find out what ignited your passion for good music, and maybe we should even just define what we mean by good music. Sure, sure. As a child, my parents played beautiful music in the home for me. I mean, for me and my siblings, and for the whole family, of course, but um, I think had they not done that, I wouldn't have had that somehow planted in me. I remember as a very small child just lying on the floor, listening to the Peer Gint suite of Edvard Grieg and <laughs> the mm. Hall of the Mountain King, and you know, and, and just music it just captivated me from from that time. And so, and my parents were not, you know, intellectuals; they were working class people, but they were recent immigrants from Poland. So the, I guess that was in their culture, but um, yeah. So, so I think to, for your children, it is very edifying to play. If you can find real beautiful music to play in the home, that's a way to get started. Um, cultivating in your child's heart, a desire for, you know, as a part of natural law, we recognize beauty. That's something God gave us. In Romans chapter one, it says there's no excuse, you know, because of creation. God, God gave us, everybody can know that there is a God that exists because of creation. But they don't think that music is part of that creation necessarily. I don't think of it that way. They think of the phys physical, tangible music, you know, but or, or objects and art. But music is also part of that creation. And and I don't know anybody that thinks a sunset is not beautiful in the whole world. It's it's a it's a natural law phenomenon that people all think the sunset is beautiful when it's so glorious in culture. And and there's music that's like that. There's music that is just inherently beautiful. 
And, you know, they say that uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and it's not. It's in the thing beheld, too. It is in the eye of the beholder, but there is such a thing as absolute truth, and there is such a thing as innate beauty mm. in in. You know, you can't say that the sunset is beautiful because I decided to, you know, it was, and it's just a choice. It objectively is whether I know recognize it or not. And so it is with certain parts of music. You can argue over, you know, the relative merits of something, but just in principle, there is beauty to be found somewhere in in some music. Wow. <laughs> uh, so, but I think that, um, St. Ignatius of, of Loyola gave us the rules for the discernment of spirits, which you can use here. There's a spirit of desolation and the spirit of consolation. You can use it when you watch a movie. Afterwards, you can say, now do I feel yicky, you know, spiritually, uh, or do I feel uplifted and edified? Was this, did this have some redeeming value? And you can when you listen to music, you can say, how did that music, what did it do for me afterwards? You know, if you listen to, say, The Nutcracker or something that you all, I'm trying to pick something that everybody kind of knows, you know. But but I, I knew a woman who said that uh, Tchaikovsky is, makes me nervous because there's too many climaxes and she preferred Bach. Well, you know, so each person discerns, has the liberty to discern the music that edifies them and meets their spiritual and psychological needs so we have a wide range of choices but you have to just get in there and you can start anywhere and listen to music and just latch on to something you like get the name of that composer find something else that that they wrote and then find out who their friends were and listen to mm-hmm. that. <laughs> yeah and just just jump in anywhere there's no one way to to do classical music you can it's a maze with many entrances from many sides and you can enter anywhere and take any path through it and it's marvelous Mm, yeah and i know that a lot of homeschoolers do what we jokingly call car schooling and we'll listen to classics sometimes in the car with our children or um, we have talent shows and things like that at the local library where our kids will get up and play bach and and chopin Mm -hmm. and things like that play their piano pieces and their violins and everything else and so we can and we have poetry jams and things like that there are so many fun ways to get our kids really engaged with each other and with what is beautiful yeah and i think if you start young you don't have to twist their arm because they haven't learned that it's not cool yet (laughs) um i'm not a music educator. I mean, I have a doctorate in music composition and taught college for 30 years, but I'm married to a music educator who teaches Catholic music school pre-K through eighth grade. Wow. The choir on a daily basis. <laughs> I hear nice. stories of, you know, uh, how the same, same people who were so open when they were in the third grade are now in the seventh grade and getting a little bit rebellious, you know, but things mm-hmm. like that but she has <laughs> techniques to introduce me so to get find a good music teacher who really knows the and has the tools to introduce music to children in particular uh and it's a real blessing if you can go to a catholic school or in homeschool find some materials that that do that 
so um, anyway, it, it's it is important to get. It's just like you know food. I mean, if you give your kids a steady diet of junk food, and that's all they know, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Right. So we want to help them acquire a taste for this good music. Exactly. Um, should our kids major in music in college? Oh, uh, it, it very much depends. You know, it, it, that's a broad generality because you can major in voice or you can major in violin. Let's just take those two. How many people out of the populace as a whole have a good singing voice? Maybe 20%. Or one or ten percent, one out of every ten people I know can sing, has a nice, pleasing singing voice, maybe, or maybe it's one out of twenty. I don't know, but it's a high number compared to the number of people who can master the violin at a professional level. That's one out of ten thousand. Mm, wow! <laughs> so, so there's a lot more jobs for that. There's a lot less job competition. There's so many great singers. There's there's so much competition to to get those singing jobs. My wife's also a musical theater performer, and that's a very and, uh, fortunately she has her day job as a music teacher. But she, you know, it, it's it's hard to um, make a living in music. So my first advice is whatever music they major in, have a minor in something that they can do as a day job while they seek their fame and fortune in music, you know, but, but also um, think about what's practical. A music education degree, for example, allows them to study music, but have a teaching job if they're called to teaching, if they're not forget about it, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but um, it also, you have to be careful what schools you choose, and this is just generally true now. I taught in the secular university, and things got more and more heated up with political correctness. And now saying that Beethoven was racist or something or represents white supremacy and all kinds of wacky ideas. And so, you know, probably find a, a truly Christian uh, or Catholic music department if you can that has uh the traditional um canon let's say of music that they're going to learn um and uh, be careful you know to ask the right questions of what's being taught now Mm, yeah Um, yeah but music majors uh let me give you this statistic and this says a lot my alma mater, the University of Michigan, did a study 10 years after their graduates graduated with a degree in music. How many of them are still in the field of music? Only 5%. Wow. Because if they're playing an instrument, they're pro- you're probably looking at them having a freelance career, which has no insurance benefits. It's one job to the next. It's not a salary. It's not a steady gig. You have to go from one wedding to the next church job to running around, you know, trying to drum up business. And that is a profession for the young. (laughs) You get about 30, you don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A lot of people get out of music um, rather than have to deal with a freelance music career. So I think, you know, think 
ahead, not just can they do the music degree, but what are they going to do with the music degree exactly? How will, will they make a living? Uh, and I don't mean to be too mundane about, you know, it's not all about making a living. It's about, you know, educating the soul and all of that. But you still also have to make a living. Mm -hmm. So, you know, music can be, you can be, uh, you can be a doctor and have music as a hobby. But you can't be a musician and have a doctor as a hobby. Be a doctor as a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it's fine to do an undergraduate degree in music and then go to law school, medical school, or what have you. Also, but just have a plan and um, be careful where you go and what you know. What talk to the people about this political correctness thing. Because the administration, even at Catholic colleges, Christian colleges, the administration will tell you one thing. But the faculty, if they're not on board with that and not teaching that in the classroom, it's a whole different uh, thing than you thought you were getting. It's a bait and switch. Mm -hmm. So um, you've got to find, find out how do they enforce this philosophy, you know, of the, that it's truly a Catholic. So do the do the teachers have to sign a statement of faith or, or in what or do they have, are they locked in with tenure so that you can't get rid of them if they go crazy mm -hmm. you know, and all kinds of things like find out that, that they really are what they represent themselves to be in the, in the case of Christian universities, mm -hmm. a lot of them that say they are, but they're, they're no different from secular universities at the classroom level. Right, and, okay. and I'm just speaking very frankly from somebody who's taught for 30 years in a secular university, which mm -hmm. doesn't claim to be Christian. Right, it's just a lone wolf. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it, it, it's good to have that independence, and and also I just I want to circle back and just connect a couple of things. We're talking mm -hmm. about what is good music, but we're also talking about what is a good life, and what is a good spiritual life, and what is a good education. <laughs> And so, this sense that what is good is part of that natural law, that ability to appreciate the beauty, that there's something in us that grows and becomes stronger and can stand against what is not good as we are fed by it. Could you close us out with any final thoughts about the importance of good music or anything related, Michael? Well, it's Sure. It's, um, it's like food is, again, uh, what you put in is which comes out and um, it, you have to nowadays, I mean, classical music used to be on television. Leonard Bernstein gave lectures to young people when I was a kid on mainstream uh, primetime channels, not on cable. They didn't have cable. Um, and, and people knew, saw Disney's Fantasia and, and, you know, they heard classical music all the time. And there was a certain common body of uh, familiarity with it. But now that's not at all true. And in fact, if you go to the Grammy nominees in a given year for pop song, the best song of the year, there uh, four out of five of them this last year I listened to to try to vote. And they were all obscene, you know, and it was it was X-rated stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to really consciously choose our culture and uh, our counterculture in this case. Uh, mm. 
So yeah, do your do your due diligence to to find these things. And people like me have our calling is to try to make stuff available so that you can easily find it and, and get it. So um, get that book, The Sound of Beauty. <laughs> I'm not trying to sell. I'm not making any money. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but please, like, everybody, get The Sound of Beauty, a classical composer on music in the spiritual life by Michael Kirick. Yeah. Uh, by all means. And and ar- look at those archived courses. Go to his website, michaelkirick.com. It's in the show notes. Click on the Adventure tab to get more. Um, Michael, as you were describing some of the choices for voting for the Grammys, mm-hmm. uh, I came back to what you said about... Um, St. Ignatius and the spiritual discernment. Mm -hmm. How does it make us feel? Where does it take our thoughts? What does it make possible when we soak our minds and our spirits in particular kinds of art? Um, Gives us an openness to God. Yeah. It's it's a stepping stone. to Beauty is a stepping stone into contemplation and to recognizing the existence of God. And then after that, the next stepping stone is being drawn toward God. But it's for some people, that's a long process. Yeah. We pray for them. Yeah, amen. Amen. I almost feel like we can offer up our listening to this beautiful music for the people of the world who, for whatever reason, aren't able to hear it, don't have ears to hear at this time in their well, lives. Although you mentioned the streaming, 81 I'm getting these statistics from Spotify. They're listening to my music in, you know, in Maldives and places I never even knew were a country. Isn't it <laughs> so wonderful? They, they have computers and and somehow they're finding finding it. So yeah. um, maybe there's more hope for the world through technology than um, to counterbalance the technologies drawbacks. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, I feel like every time we're faced with a Goliath, God takes all the Davids and just magnifies the power of his presence in them. And I think we can trust that. Mm-hmm. You know, the yeah. Goliath of technology, the darkness of the world, mm. we shouldn't be overwhelmed by it. It's easy to let yourself be. And I, I can fall into that too. And if you watch the news, especially, it's just you know, was it G.K. Chesterton that said that Christianity is a is one long losing battle until you win at the end or something? That like sounds that. like him. <laughs> He's so funny and so right. Yeah, he said, <laughs> I like what he said. Marriage is a fight to the death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So funny. Well, love Chesterton and love the way he appreciated all that was beautiful, too, and could find it in others. Um, Michael, thank you so much. We'll have all your links in the show notes. Appreciate you taking the time today. Um, And uh, everybody do go back and find Michael at his website and and link out to all the wonderful places to find him and his books. And and you can find his incredible music by his CD, The Sea Knows, which has a number of different pieces, but you can listen to The Sea Knows on YouTube. Uh, That'll whet your appetite for more, believe me. well, there's a lot you can listen to for free on my website too. So mm-hmm. go to the media page and just, you know, if you want to sample it and then throw tomatoes at the, <laughs> at the computer. <laughs> well, it's their computer. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Michael. Okay. And everybody, please stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. Thank you.
Hi, I'm author AJ Catapan. Welcome to Books and Blessings, a place where I get to share with you some of my favorite books for Catholic teens and tweens. Today I'd like to introduce you to Awakening, a suspenseful young adult novel by Catholic author Jacqueline Brown. If you've been listening to the Homeschooling Saints podcast for a while, you might recall my Books and Blessings episode on Frozen Footprints by Therese Heckenkamp. This month's book selection is aimed at a similar audience, teens who are mature enough to handle a good dose of suspense. In Awakening, we meet 17-year-old Sienna, who lives on a large family estate on the shores of Maine. Her wealthy father makes sure she and her two younger sisters are well taken care of. Their grandmother, Gigi, also lives in their castle-sized home to help take care of the girls. And there's plenty of space to roam in the woods and along the shoreline of the family land. From the outside, her life might seem perfect. However, when Sienna was in the fourth grade, her mother was murdered. And ever since then, she and her sisters have been virtually locked up at home. Sienna has no problem being homeschooled, but when the only time you leave your family property is to go to church on Sunday, there aren't many opportunities for making friends. Things change when two young men enter her life. One is Luca, a troubled boy whose mother committed suicide. After his mom's death, Luca comes to live with his aunt and uncle, who live in a small home Sienna's grandparents built on their property. The other young man is Thomas, the son of old family friends, whom Sienna's family had been close to prior to her mother's death. Thomas is drawn to a dilapidated inn built on the edge of the family property. He's intrigued, but Luca warns Sienna to stay away. The suspense builds slowly at the start of this book, but the climax brings Sienna into a perilous situation. Without giving too much away, let's just say that this book deals with the power of demonic forces, so I wouldn't suggest it for a young reader who is not ready to handle such matter. However, it is definitely dealt with through a Catholic lens, so it has the potential to inspire some interesting conversations on the nature of good and evil and Catholic perspectives on demonic forces. Awakening is appropriate for mature teen readers who are looking for a suspenseful read. Fans of Dean Koontz would definitely enjoy this book. To see more book suggestions, visit my website at ajcatapan.com. There you can also learn about my own books for young readers, such as Angelhood, my young adult novel that also deals with demonic forces as well as angels and my new book for educators, catechists, and homeschooling parents called Sweet Jesus Is It June Yet? 10 Ways the Gospels Can Help You Combat Teacher Burnout and Rediscover Your Passion for Teaching. Thanks for joining me on Books and Blessings. Be sure to find me online on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or on my website, ajcatapan.com. Until next time, happy reading. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you and thank you for joining us.